Well, good morning to each of you. Um, I was just noticing as we were praying that the children were singing. And that's okay. Uh, we're getting used to that at our church, too. Um, been a long time since uh, we didn't have too many children in our congregation, but uh, somehow lately the Lord has sent us quite a few. I think we had, uh, I think we had seven or eight babies born this year, so I'm familiar with that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I live uh, in southern Ontario, <clears throat> a couple hours away from Niagara Falls. How many have been to Niagara Falls? Oh, quite a few of you have been. All right, I thought maybe you're a long ways from it, but uh, it is a great natural attraction, isn't it? Well, this little story I read that an American was viewing Niagara Whirlpool Rapids uh, with an English gentleman, and he said, come, he said, I'll show you the greatest unused power in the world. So he took him to the foot of Niagara Falls, and he said, there, that's the greatest unused power in the world. And the other man said, Ah, oh, no, my brother, not so. In terms of physical things, what would, what would we say now is the greatest power in the world? Well, maybe from that time, we probably have some other things now. Anybody want to say? What would you think is a great unused power in the world? Well, I think... Uh, uh, the people that are conscious of environment and so on, they think lots of wind, you know, the wind generators, and the solar generators. I thought about maybe uh, atomic power. Uh, I thought, what if we could harness the tides and the power of those that come in? You know, those are big. Well, anyway, he said, uh, no, he said, the greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now that wasn't a, that was a little different, quite a different category. Not a physical thing; it's a spiritual thing. Anyway, um, spirit of the living God, Jesus, before he left, told his disciples, "I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you." That's the Holy Spirit that's talking about. <clears throat> when Jesus ascended, or just before he ascended, there in Acts one eight, he said. Uh, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and uh, you shall go out and be my witnesses. <clears throat> and uh, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's for you. He's for us, you and me. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is, what he has done, and what he's doing in the world today. So my subject this morning is the subject of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if you've had one of those subjects lately or not, but I've been teaching on the attributes of God. I've been thinking about the Trinity, and uh, that fits in here with my thinking here. Uh, if you want for a starting off verse, uh, a couple of verses there in John 15... Uh, thinking particularly of verse 26. I'm going to look at a couple other verses there too, and then we're going to take a little tour through the Bible about uh, some things about the Holy Spirit, what He's done in the past, who He is, and what He is doing today. Well, John 15, 26 says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you shall bear witness 
because you have been with me from the beginning. <clears throat> so here is, his name is called the Comforter, and he comes from the Father. Uh, some of the creeds would say he proceeds from the Father and from the Son. I understand and there's been a theological debate between the Eastern Church and the Western Church from centuries ago, but that's not going to uh, affect us at all. All right, so first of all, I think about who is the Holy Spirit or what is the Holy Spirit? I'd have a few things to say about that. First of all, Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal power. He's not a force. He's not a thing. And I uh, rather don't like very much when it says in our King James Bible, it. I believe it should be he. <laughs> he is the Spirit. Uh, as you start reading the Gospel of John, you, you find out in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Alright, so then you read a little bit further, and you find out that the Word was Jesus. So they're saying, hey, there's two persons who are God. God the Father and God the Son, or the Word. They are both God. Uh, they came from the beginning, they made all things. Uh, the Word became flesh, it says, and you find out that that was Jesus in the Incarnation. <clears throat> now you read further on in the Gospel of John and you come to about chapter 14 and uh, verse 16 uh, and Jesus is talking about leaving and he says, Now I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you, even the Spirit of Truth. And he mentions the Comforter down in verse 26. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to you. Remember what I said to you. So here's another, and I think we infer, we gather that here's a third person, like the Father and the Son. I'm your Comforter now, and this Comforter's coming, that's going to be the Holy Spirit. And so now you see there are three persons who are God, and yet we know from other scriptures that they are one. This word that's translated comforter is a, a rich word I'm understanding, although I don't read Greek myself. Uh, I understand it's paraclete, and it could be translated counselor, a helper, or advocate. Uh, basically one who stands or one who befriends me and helps me along. He's a person, this Holy Spirit, this Comforter, is a person that has a relationship not only with believers, but with the Father and the Son, because he works with them. They work together perfectly as one, for they are, as we would uh, say it in our theology, three in one, the Trinity. So first of all, who the Holy Spirit is? He's a person. Secondly, he is God. And that is brought out a little more clearly in the story about uh, Peter and Ananias and Sapphira when they were trying to put one over on the church and pretend that they were giving all of their money from the sale of their farm or whatever. And um, he said, you're lying to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. That's really the same. So that is clarifying that the Holy Spirit is God. Third, he is eternal and he's holy. Um, John 14, 16, he says that he may abide with you forever. So he's eternal. And of course, since his name is the Holy Spirit, 
Now that, that the verse in Hebrews, it talks about the eternal spirit having part in uh, bringing the offering that Jesus made by dying on the cross to present it to the Heavenly Father I, for our redemption. I don't really understand that verse very well and what all was transaction there, how the Holy Spirit and Jesus working together for our salvation at the time of the cross. Well, anyway, the Holy Spirit is holy. He's completely apart from the creature things and the things of this world. All right, the fourth point I'd like to make is that the Holy Spirit, being a person, has a mind and a will, and he prays for us. The Spirit of God, being well acquainted with God and also ministering to us, takes the requests that we have to God and interprets them to us, and maybe he does what maybe what he does with someone when we intervene for someone well he means to say this or he he turns their quests so that they're more appropriate for us sometimes we ask inappropriately and I I would think that the Holy Spirit would uh, carry our intended and uh, necessary requests to the Father another point the Holy Spirit is a person who has emotions we are told not to quench the Spirit nor to grieve the spirit. Grieving, that's an emotion. That's causing someone hurt. We would grieve the spirit of God by ignoring what he prompts us to do, by being stubborn and refusing to do what he wants. We would grieve the spirit of God when we don't forgive those people who are offending us, or when we display anger in inappropriate ways, when we are quarrelsome and disunited with the group we belong to, or if we gossip about other people in a negative way, or if we practice unloving manners, that would be grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So he's a person with emotions could be grieved. Another point, he has desires and a will. If you read uh, the story about, no, it's not a story, it's the list of the gifts of the Spirit in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, The Spirit gives gifts uh, to various individuals in the church. You know, it's, we like to think we would have some say in the gifts we get, but we don't. Uh, the Holy Spirit assigns the gifts to us, and he gives these gifts to us to, us to benefit each other. Um, he has a plan for our lives. Uh, maybe I'm just going to read a few verses there about what the... Uh, what the Holy Spirit does there. 1 Corinthians 12. Well, let's start, start at verse uh, 3b. Um, by the Holy Ghost, people can say that Jesus is Lord. So he brings the knowledge and the conviction of who Jesus is, his real person. Now verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. He gives the gifts out. There are diversities of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation or the showing of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That is, uh, for the benefit of all of us. The Spirit gives us gifts not for us to show off, but for us to bless and benefit other people. Um, then it gives some of the gifts for one is given the spirit 
by the Spirit the word of wisdom, another word of knowledge, by the same Spirit to another faith, by the same Spirit to another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit. Look at how it's emphasizing that it's the Spirit who gives these things. To another working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, and various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh the one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the Spirit as he will. He is the determining person in that. So not only, not only as in, for us as individuals, but for the body. Um, that is the reason he gives the gifts. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, he's all-present, and he's all-knowing. Omni meaning all. You know, I think we don't understand. We can't fathom what's infinite and what's eternal, can we? In his attributes. So, who is the Holy Spirit? He is a wonderful, powerful person who is interested and works in the life of the church and in the world. All right, my second area to think about is how was the Holy Spirit working in Bible times? What did he do? And I, this is not by any way complete, but uh, I'm thinking uh, at the time of the birth of Christ, there's quite a bit of said about the Holy Spirit and his, his working there. Uh, the Holy Spirit, well, first of all, let me back up a bit. When... Uh, the angel came and spoke to Zacharias that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. You know that story from the Christmas. And he said, you're going to have a son. His, his name is going to be John. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. First. The next, uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. You know that story too. And he said, and she said, you're going to, you the virgin are going to have a baby. She said, how can this be? Well, she said, the Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will conceive. And that also is told us in um, Matthew's gospel. Peter, well, Joseph was saying, yeah, he, said, he, wondered, he wondered about Mary's story. And um, he said, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So there again, Joseph heard a message that the Holy Spirit was responsible for uh, her conception. Now to us, that is a wonderful story, the Holy Spirit working. But you know what? To Joseph and to Mary it may have seemed a lot different. I mean, we know the end of the story. There's sometimes, you know, when you read a novel, there's a lot of things that, you know, you try to fit together. And by the end of the story, it usually all comes together. They didn't know the last chapter of the story. So to them, what the Holy Spirit was doing for them was likely chaotic, upsetting, life-changing, you might say. Maybe I'll get to this too, you know, that... For us, the work of the Holy Spirit sometimes takes us in a completely different direction and a upsetting, may seem upsetting to us. 
I think their life was kind of shattered. Upsetting, redirecting. Now, now I don't want to just leave it there. The Holy Spirit may make chaos in the life, but He delivers us from a lot of chaos of the evil. He's a power beyond us. All right, read on. You read on in the New Testament and you find out that at Jesus' baptism uh, and the beginning of his ministry, there was evidence of the Holy Spirit working. Um, remember the, where it talks about Jesus being baptized? He went to John the Baptist and asked him to baptize him. And then uh, when he was, came up out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descended upon him and there was a visible form like a dove and then there was a voice from heaven the Father said this is my beloved Son and giving an affirmation of Jesus doing the right thing so there the Spirit of God came in and um, another reference to the same kind of thing uh, when Peter was preaching to Cornelius uh, he said of Jesus that uh, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good, healing those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And uh, so, I, I don't know how that all worked together. The Holy Spirit on Jesus and gave him that power to do the miracles and the teachings that he did. And Jesus, of course, said, I always do the will of my Father. Holy Spirit enabled him. All right, another um, John fourteen twenty six, which I read already. I'll just read it again. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. I believe that verse is telling us that the Holy Spirit was involved in seeing that we get this book and the message straight. He is going to remind you what I've said unto you. And uh, Jesus had said too that uh, I've got lots of things to tell you, but you, don't, you won't get it yet. You're not able to handle it yet. There might have been several reasons for that too, but anyway... Uh, whatever I've said to you. So, what did the Holy Spirit do in the past? The Holy Spirit is responsible that we got a copy of the Gospels. Matthew is one of the disciples. John was one of the disciples. Mark and Luke, well, they would have got their information later. But the Holy Spirit impressed them and gave them the message so that they would get it down I don't know what the disciples did, but I kind of doubt if they had their notebooks going around and recording all the things that Jesus said. You know, we would have to do that. You know, our notepads or pencil and paper or laptops or whatever, we would have to do that. But the Holy Spirit gave them. Well, they lived in an oral society and we lived in a more of a letter society, don't we? But anyway... Without the Holy Spirit, there would not be the letters that Paul wrote either. He, had, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, without the Holy Spirit's work in the past, there would be no gospel, no epistles of Peter, James, and John, and Jude, and no letters of Paul. 
and whatever the letter of Hebrews was written by, don't know either. Well, there wouldn't be the revelation. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in giving us those. Another, what else did the Holy Spirit do? Well, if you think of the apostles, you know those 12 disciples, and uh, also think about Saul, the witnesses of Jesus. What kind of men were they before? Well, you know, Thomas, he doubted. Another man was a zealot, whatever, zealot, whatever that meant. Um, some of them were fishermen, uneducated men. Um, James and John were sons of thunder. Uh, I don't know if that meant his father was a hot-tempered man or they themselves were hot-tempered. I don't know. But I thought it referred to John. But you know, John, son, son of thunder who wanted to call down fire upon some Samaritans that didn't want to give them hospitality. What's John known, known as? He's the apostle of love. Changed man. Peter, who usually spoke before he thought. It looks, at least it appears that way to us. Uh, was afraid and dis deserted Jesus like all the other disciples did. And then there were the disciples who quarreled among themselves about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. These were the men that were going to be handed over the work that Jesus had been doing when he was gone. Fearful, uh, dull, uh, you'd say, wouldn't you say, you know, these men aren't going to be capable of carrying on the work that Jesus is supposed to do. Wouldn't you think that way when you read about it? And then Saul, you know, how he was such a vicious attacker of the Christians. All the mean things he did to them. Well, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were transformed. They were different. Something really happened to them. It was the Holy Spirit that got a hold of them. They were, instead of being fearful, they were given power and courage and ability to get things together and preach. Day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues, wonderful languages, the wonderful words of God and the works of God. So much so that the people there that... Uh, that um, heard them were astonished and they said they must be drunk they're not acting normally at all and Peter's preaching now I don't suppose Peter had a few hours to get his sermon ready either did you <laughs> that was just the crowd that came together and I don't know where were they. Where were they when they were uh, when the Holy Spirit descended on them? I always thought they were in the upper room or something. But I came across something that suggested maybe they were in the temple at the time of praying. Anyway, they ended up where there's a lot of people were, and uh, Peter preached a powerful message. He was there able to gather the prophecies of Joel, and he talked about David, uh, the prophecies that David made, and he was very very direct in saying to these people you crucif crucified Jesus and getting a lot of things together uh, he directly accused them very boldly of you are the people that crucified Jesus Christ and yet you were carrying out God's plan um, he gave them a clear answer of what they were to do they said 
they, the Holy Spirit was there. He convicted them, the, the people that were listening. And uh, Peter said, what you need to do is repent. And then you too can have the Holy Spirit. There was no fearful on-again, off-again, fickle Peter preaching that message. Then as you look through the book of Acts, you see the works of the Holy Spirit in establishing the church and preaching the gospel. I'm just going to look through a few things here in the, gospel, in the uh, book of Acts. The Holy Spirit uh, taught them the truth, reminded them, and saved them from error. So, just I started paging through the book of Acts. I, in my meditation, I was reading some things here and... Uh, it, it was an, I was surprised how many times the Holy Spirit was uh, mentioned there. I don't know why I was surprised. I probably should have known that. But anyway, <laughs> as, I, as I read it through, you know, sometimes reading many chapters at once, thinking of a certain theme, you see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise that you, when you just read a chapter at a time. So anyway, in chapter 40, verse 4, verse 30 and 31... This was after they had been accosted by the temple leaders, it says here, 4.30. By stretching forth thine hand, they were praying, to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, and place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake the word of God with boldness. So, um, somehow or other, with the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working together, they, they had the power of God shook the place and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were able to speak with boldness. <clears throat> well then, chapter 5, I mentioned that already. In verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land? What's happening there? Um... I think we would say that the Holy Spirit there was protecting the integrity of the church from people who would be deceiving. I don't know what Ananias and Sapphira's motives were. I mean, we could talk about that or think about that. But here the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that there was some deception and some lying and some deceit going on. And uh, down verse 11 gives the conclusion then, Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. There was, there was reverence for the church. Uh, the, uh, the truth was kept there, you see. Well, then you turn over the next page and uh, you come to chapter 6. In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So here was a problem coming up in the church. What do they do about it? There was murmuring, there was complaining, unequal treatment, some people not being cared for. So what did they happen? What did they do? Well, I, it doesn't say, um, uh, but I'm, I'm reading between the lines that the Holy Spirit moved them to decide what to do. And they chose what I suppose we would call the deacons. And uh, they chose men, verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and these other people, and set them forth, and they prayed over them. And uh, so these were men that were filled by the Holy Spirit to care for these complaints and care for this. 
They were men of honest report, good references that they had, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. And as you read on, chapter 7, you find that Stephen, he was arrested and uh, he, full of the Holy Spirit, was able to, get, to preach a powerful message to those Sanhedrin, I guess it was, and uh, he said in 751, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Ghost. So he's, uh, he's stating that the Holy Ghost is there bringing conviction to these people. And then verse 55, He being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So there again, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit enabled him to see, get a glimpse into heaven, and give him that power to see the glory of God. And of course, you know that Stephen paid for that with his life. He got taken up to heaven. Now, next chapter, um, 8, 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay, how is this significant? Well, you know, the Samaritans, they were despised by the Jewish people. You know, they were the people that, well, I don't know what we would say today about them. The, the, at least they, they had mixed religion anyway and these Samaritans were coming to believe are they really going to be part of the church? and so the apostles went down prayed for them and the Holy Spirit came on them in a visible way like they had on the people at Pentecost so that, they, so that the Holy Spirit was saying yes, this group of people these Samaritans whom you despised they too are part of this church they can have the same Holy Spirit that these Jews have so incorporated them into the body so that there's one body. You read on. That was what, uh, that was what the apostles did for Samaria. And in 8.26, you see, um, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. And there they were going to meet a man who was... Uh, a nobleman of some kind had a very important position in Ethiopia and uh, he was in his chariot reading the scriptures on his way back home he'd been worshipping in Jerusalem he's on his way back home and uh, reading the prophecy of Isaiah and then you see in verse 29 then the spirit said unto Philip go near and then he had that conversation with him he was able to teach him about the new revelation of who Jesus is and the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. It was the Spirit that told him to go, and the Spirit gave that perfect timing and made everything fit together right so that this Ethiopian, before he got out of range, found out about Jesus and took the gospel back to his home. That isn't quite all in this story. In um, Verse 39, it says, And then when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So again, the Spirit of God uh, led him away. Um, 
Do you ever wonder? I wonder. What does that mean? How did the Spirit of the Lord catch him away? Did he, did he physically take him away? Did he just whisk him away? That he walked away? I don't know. I, which way it was? Kind of interesting to think about anyway. But I don't know the answer to that question. <clears throat> well, chapter 9. Um, well, it doesn't say anything about... Well, it's, it's about Saul. He comes to Damascus breathing out threats. Paul is really on a, a campaign and a crusade to destroy this new Christian religion. And uh, he gets arrested in a, ma- in a magnificent way, in a spectacular way. And uh, you know the story, I'm sure. But I wanted to point out in verse 17... Ananias was, this is a different Ananias now, Ananias was told to go and talk to this man whom he'd heard a lot of bad things about, or at least the bad things that he would do, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So there's the Holy Ghost again, filling this man who had so recently been a terrible enemy of the church. So he received sight and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you maybe know the rest of the story here, uh, the Holy Spirit really enlightened Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Because he immediately recognized, changed his mind completely about who Jesus was. And he started to go preaching about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. So there was the Holy Spirit enlightening Paul, changing his mind completely about who Jesus is. And verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. There's evidence of the Spirit's work after some of the terrible persecution had subsided. Well, I went to chapter 10 and I found about the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit again. Uh, Let me see. Verse 44. This is Peter coming to Cornelius' house. Now it took, it took some persuasion to get Peter to go there. He had to change his mind on some things too. And I won't go into all that story. It would take too long. But Peter preached about Jesus of Nazareth, how the Holy Ghost had come upon with power. And I'm looking at verse 44 now. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry with him certain days the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles. The same gift that they had had and that the Samaritans had had came to them. Now there was some fallout from that, but uh, it comes in a couple of chapters. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 24. 
Barnabas went to Antioch and it says he was a good man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people were added unto the Lord. So there was evidence of the Holy Spirit working through this man Barnabas. Made his testimony effective and the gospel reached there. All right, skip chapter 12, going to chapter 13, verse 2. There were these prophets and teachers in in, um, Antioch. Verse 2, they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and so on, and they were off on their first missionary journey. What does it say? The Holy Spirit sent them and empowered them and directed them where to go. More evidence of the Holy Spirit sending out missionaries identifying who should go. Now we come to chapter 15. Um, That's when the council met together in Jerusalem and they said, uh, what are we going to do about this? Uh, We're Jews. The Old Testament tells us to do these things, but now here are these Samaritans, here are these Gentiles. What are they supposed to do? Some of them thought the Gentiles had to almost basically convert to being Jews so that they could be Christians. Ah, yeah, okay, what's going to happen here? And uh, evidently the Holy Spirit was working there. It doesn't mention him, I think, until you get to about verse 28. Uh, when, um, when James was... Uh, I think it's 28, yeah. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And so it says that. So what I wanted to point out was here that the Holy Spirit was evidently there in their discussion they had a big conference and I think there probably was a lot of debate back and forth about what we need to do and what we don't need to do and yeah the Holy Spirit had to direct them and gave James the wisdom to pull it together and uh, and arrive at a place to say what it takes for Gentiles to be Christians that it saved Christianity from being a subculture of Judaism or just a branch of Judaism. No, it's a completely new thing. The Holy Spirit was there directing in this, um, seeing that uh, the Gentiles were incorporated into the church. And it seemed good to us to, so, to, uh, to, to make that decision. And then uh, I sort of didn't look through the rest of the chapter except or through the rest of the book except chapter 20 verse 28 I thought I'd bring that one out yet Uh, there um, Paul's on his missionary journey and he's heading back to Jerusalem but he wanted to see the elders at Ephesus yet and um, verse 28 of chapter 20 take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. What do I take from that? That it was the Holy Spirit who appoints leaders and overseers and so on in churches and gives them the ability and the responsibility to feed the church of God, which is, of course, Christ. Okay, so those are some of the things. And I'm sure you can find others if you read through the book of Acts more carefully. You'll see, too, the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, now I'd like to say, what, what is the Holy Spirit doing today? What's he doing in the 
world today and in the church today and in you and me well you know I think it's right to say that the Holy Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus whatever Jesus started to do in the Gospels um, he, 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 the Holy Spirit is doing uh, the book of Acts continues on telling the gospel after Jesus had departed from this world. He left the work in the hands of the apostles and the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we must be careful not to ignore the Holy Spirit. Though, while Jesus had a body, we could see him. Or at least they could see him. Now, I would think the Holy Spirit works sort of more behind the scenes. Um, He's not out front. But without the Holy Spirit working today, there would be no faith. We would have no Bible. We would have no new birth. We would have no Christians today. We would have no church if the Holy Spirit were not active today. Um, you know, it says about Jesus in Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. I think it would be just as correct to say the Holy Spirit just the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing today. I'll go back to John again. Read that couple of verses there. In John 16, verse 8. Well, Jesus said it was expedient for him to go away, but then the Comforter will come. When he's come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. And the Spirit of truth is going to tell you that. So, here I see the Spirit of God is about the work of reproving, convicting, convincing the world of being sinful of being unrighteous, out of being exposed to judgment, and of the true nature of who Jesus is. See, the God of this world is blinding people. We talked about that a little bit in the Sunday school lesson, needing the army, armor. But he attacks us, he blinds us, he keeps men and people in ignorance, um, ignorant of spiritualities. And I think it's the spirit who leads the counterattack to Satan. Uh, Resisting him brings conviction of men, conviction of sin to people. He can brought conviction to the men of Jerusalem who crucified Jesus. He convicts you and me uh, of our guilt in rejecting God, of unbelief. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit who pricks our conscience when God is speaking to us. And then he brings conviction of righteousness. The fact that Jesus can solve the sin problem of mankind by his redeeming death revealed God's righteousness. God's righteousness is proven by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That means the sacrifice was accepted and he was received back into heaven. That proves the righteousness of God's cause and of Jesus and of judgment. You know... On Good Friday and Saturday, it looked like God lost. 
didn't it? It looked like this wonderful man Jesus got crucified and he was done away with. It looks like those people got away with murder. But actually, Easter proved otherwise. That actually the prince of this world was judged. Death had been overcome. Satan rules by sin and death, but Christ's triumph over sin at the cross and over death at the resurrection publishes the fact that Satan has been judged. And the Holy Spirit is convincing people today of that fact. <clears throat> Holy Spirit is also um, indicating to people that all unbelievers will be judged. It's going to be a matter of time until that final judgment is evident. So people think they're getting away with things today, but the Holy Spirit is going to point out, and will point out, no, there is a day of judgment coming for everyone. The Holy Spirit then convicts you and me of our lostness and of our sin when we fall into sin. It convicts, or it brings conviction of the truth of who Jesus is, the righteous Savior, and of our accountability before him at the judgment. The preaching of the gospel, evangelism, is not a waste of time because the Holy Spirit is active in doing his work. The Holy Spirit brings the new birth to us. To us. We would not be born of the Spirit except for him. He gives us the new nature. He makes us a new creation. He gives us new desires. He redeems us. He regenerates us. He helps us put to death the old nature. Um, he, he's the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ, into the church. Um, Romans 8 is another passage that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. I don't think I better turn to that right now, but it talks about walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And it says we are adopted by the Spirit into the family of God. To be the children of our Father in heaven. He brings us that intimacy with God. So that we no longer need to live in fear of God. I mean in the dread fear of God. Uh, or being slaves. But we're friends and we're in his care. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to be rid of and overcome the misdeeds of the body. And the, change the habits that don't belong in the Christian life. Sets us free from the sins we cannot be rid of ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to re rethink, retrain our mind, uh, take control of a bad temper uh, or anger or convicts us and helps us to not talk the way we shouldn't. Or the Holy Spirit will help us to um, be forgiving, help us to love rather than hate, get rid of our pride. Now it doesn't usually happen all at once. It's a lifelong process. The Holy Spirit working in us. Continually renewing us. So in partnership with him. The Holy Spirit works. <clears throat> Furthermore the Holy Spirit is our counselor. Teaches us what we need to know. And what we need to remember. Uh, he comforts us. He encourages us. He guides us in the way that we should go. Um, Jesus said sometime. Uh, he said. He uh, said. You don't, when you get called up into magistrates, when you're persecuted, called on the carpet, you might, the way we say, 
So don't premeditate what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words at that time. And you know, I marvel at it. Some of the stories you read of the martyrs, the things that they answered when they were questioned by the theological professors in, during the Reformation time and trying to get them to recant, they had some wonderful answers that, well, they likely participated by studying their Bibles themselves, but then the Holy Spirit gave them those words. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts and opportunities for us to use them for the good of the community so that we all have something to offer. I read that passage in Romans or in 1 Corinthians 12, so I won't again. But I believe it's the Holy Spirit who, who gives us visionaries, who gives us preachers, who gives us uh, insight, who, uh, who builds the church to do kingdom work. I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I could name, well, I think it's the Holy Spirit who helped us to form Maranatha Bible School and faith builders and Christian light publications and Christian aid ministries. The Holy Spirit's behind all of that. He sees that these things get done to bless other people. The Holy Spirit inspired the apostles and the writers of scripture and he has the purpose of a little, little different but he doesn't inspire us but he does, he does illuminate us as we read the scriptures we come to understand what it means and how to apply it. The Holy Spirit is also active in our lives when he brings us assurance of our sins forgiven, assurance of faith, assurance that we're joined to Christ, gives us a blessed hope of the future, uh, and fills us with joy. That's the Spirit's work. And of course, it wouldn't be complete to say, to leave out, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So by way of conclusion, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the one doing the work of God in the world today. And I ask ourselves, are we being led by the Spirit of God? Am I following Him? Are you following Him? It's not for us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our work. It's for us to ask, how can we fill in, fit in, in the Spirit's work? Where's my place in that? It is his program to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. He will do for you and in you what you cannot do for yourself. The Holy Spirit by his power will do supernatural things in your life and in your church. So may God help us to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit more and more. Not ignore and forget him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God who makes, who makes us possessors of all the things that Jesus Christ has made available to us. And in the words that uh, the letters to the seven churches were given, he that hath an ear, hear what the Spirit says. <laughs>